Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I'm uh, happy that the first uh, talk that I'm giving here, I'm here this weekend, but the first talk is going to be about um, metta, which is one of my favorite subjects of all, and particularly one of my favorite subjects about uh, meditation. So um, in some ways I'm going to give you, uh, thank you, like a little testimonial just about um, how much I love metta and uh, (laughs) the power of that in life and uh, my practice and all of that. So I'm sure you've heard other people also expound about this, but sometimes it's helpful to just hear it from different uh, people. So I came to this um, meditation practice pretty young, and uh, I started doing um, retreats uh, when I was in college. And uh, I started because I had different questions about uh, life and about different things and curious and um, I was impressed by the teachers I have to say like I felt like the teachers knew something that I wanted to know and um, I was a pretty obedient meditation student uh, from early on because uh, kind of very basically they seemed to understand something that I wanted to understand and they said they got like that from doing this stuff so then uh, <laughs> I thought, okay, I'll do that, right? Even though it wasn't even always uh, directly understandable why walking slowly back and forth or sitting there and breathing uh, was going to generate the results of the wisdom that these people clearly had. Um, But either I was young enough or faithful enough or something to uh, decide it was worth it to give it a try like that. So I did a a 10-day retreat when I was in college, and then when I finished um, university, I went and did a three-month retreat that they have at um, Insight Meditation Society. Maybe some people here who have been um, practitioners there during that time. And like many things, you know, somewhere in the middle of this three-month period of silence and sitting and walking and uh, celibacy and solitude and all of this, I think there were some periods in which like, I, I felt very connected to the practice, but I didn't always know what they were talking about when they talked about like enlightenment or awakening or this kind of thing. You know, it seemed like a little abstract to me. And I didn't know people who were like that, and I didn't know what, uh, yeah, what exactly they were getting at with this thing. But then I remember that uh, they told the stories about uh, certain people, and one of them was uh, Deepama, who there's a picture I saw you know, as you come in the uh, hallway on top of the shelf there. And the story about Deepama was about someone who was, uh, also was you know, awakened, enlightened, but uh, the manifestation of that was being incredibly loving from these stories. And these teachers knew her and had met her. She had been their teacher. And, and they talked about these different um, impacts on them and on people around uh, of this really vast, unstoppable friendliness uh, coming from this very small, uh, yeah, short uh, South Asian woman. So I could sort of identify with some dimensions of that. Um, and that seemed inspiring to me. And you know, at that time also, when I was like you know, 21 years old, uh, it was some time when um, there was this question like, well, what am I going to be when I grow up? You know, like, what am I going to do for my job or work or, you know, some identity search development thing. And really nothing was that, um, nothing really seemed to have, like be that compelling to me that uh, <laughs> was there as some like job thing to like latch onto and drive towards. Although this, this meditation thing was very compelling. So I actually did that for four years from 21 to 25. So that was compelling even though it wasn't like a thing. You know? But I remember hearing about this, and, and somehow something sparked in me, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, someone can be like that. Like, someone who is able to uh, have this sense of uh, goodwill towards everyone. And I remember them describing how that impacted the people in her neighborhood, 
um, and how it impacted everyone who came to meet her. And I thought, wow, that's actually something to aspire towards. Because then, regardless of what you do in your job, like you work in a gas station, or you become a doctor, or you work in a store, or you become um, a gym teacher, or whatever, then uh, you're able to have some beneficial impact on all the people around you. Uh, and I think I thought of it in also almost in some like uh, kind of lighthouse kind of way, you know, like the light was just like emanating and <laughs> from this being. Uh, so that was inspiring to me, and, and in some ways that was a much more uh, kind of tangible or like an, an aspiration that, that really had some uh, connection for me. And also because I had been raised uh, in the Christian tradition. So you know, hear a lot about this, like love your neighbor as yourself, and you know, a lot of talk about um, Jesus talking a lot about love and um, the saints and all this, and I connected to that also, but they never really told you how to do that. Per se, <laughs> you know, like it was a good idea. Love your neighbor as yourself, but then, like, how do you actually do that when your neighbor is annoying to you, or you know, there's <laughs> like no instructions further that uh, I could uh, get out of people to continue to develop in this direction, right? Except like judge yourself as bad when you weren't doing it, and then you know, try to be gooder in some way. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that didn't seem to be um, working in that way, but. I think I, I held that as some ideal, some, something that I aspired to, and you know, sort of an idealistic way, but actually a very beautiful way. And then later on, you know, I have developed different things that I uh, do in the world, including um, now largely Dharma teaching, but uh, I still connect with that as a, a primary motivator for the practice. You know? And I think that it's, uh, it's very connected. You know, it's the purification of heart that can come through the path of uh, dharma practice and the development of metta. And really, it's, it's very simple in some ways. Some aspects of, of the dharma are so, uh, like, very simple. Like, yeah, we all want to be happy. You know, we all want to be healthy and safe. We all would like to be loved. You know? We would like to have a sense of well-being. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter like how old. Like every living human, and in fact, you could include even all the animals. Like wish for that. And you can see that even like animals. If you uh, you know raise some hand, or if there's a threatening gesture, like they shrink away. It's difficult for them. And same with us as humans. You know, and definitely small children. You can see this very obviously how they respond to a sense of kindness, right? Um, and how they fear if there's a sense of violence, impending doom, or something, right? Uh, and they can tell that even when you're not talking, you know? Like there's a sense of the energy of whatever's in your heart that does emanate for all of us. So I take uh, public transport uh, around in the Bay Area. I live in San Francisco, and uh, you can tell if you sit next to someone and they're like broodingly angry. You know, you can kind of feel that. They don't need to say anything. You can feel that sense. So sometimes, even if you walk into a room and someone is in that state, uh, like, that has an impact. Like, you can sense that. And then likewise, you know, we're all very sensitive, energetic beings. Like, that sense of of goodwill or uh, kindness or good wishes uh, is also something that we can sense and feel. You know, whether it registers on a conscious level or not, that that's what's happening. And it's beautiful also that the cultivation of this uh, metta is something that is beneficial for oneself and also for others. So it actually is purifying of one's own heart, and it also uh, has beneficial impacts on all of those around us. So one of the revolutionary aspects of uh, dharma practice, dharma teachings, and um, particularly in this tradition, I feel like the instructions are, are pretty clear. You know, There's many different ways you can do metta practice, but the technology, if you will, the spiritual technology of transforming the heart and mind is very well articulated, I feel, in my wanderings around uh, the spiritual world. And uh, for those of you who are uh, scientifically inclined, I'll give you a little metta uh, study data to uh, 
compellingly prove why you should do this. So this is a study from um, Richie Davidson and done in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, in this case, his subjects were preschool children. So these preschool children uh, embarked on an eight-week curriculum on compassion and kindness. So these are uh, humans age four, and uh, you know, which are kind of a mixed bag, right? If you are around four-year-olds, uh, and a kind of like unvarnished mixed bag of different states of mind and heart that they uh, usually, uh, yeah, emanate without as much self-consciousness. <laughs> so um, in the beginning, the uh, this, this seems uh, quite brilliant. So they're they're kind of just suss out what was the baseline of this populace, they had them do a little exercise in which um, they all got, uh, they got interviewed, and then uh, they found out who was their favorite and least favorite friends in preschool, right? <laughs> and um, it's notable to, to, to recognize this, too, because like, you laugh, because probably when you were in preschool, you also had your favorite and least favorite friends, right? And then uh, you moved into grade school, and then you probably had your favorite and least favorite friends. And then you moved into high school, and you had your favorite and least favorite friends. And then you moved into uh, whatever you did after that, and favorite and least favorite friends. And in fact, now you probably also have your favorite and least favorite friends, right? So we can see it's kind of like a, it's like a pattern that keeps following in some way. Okay, so. They sussed out who their favorite and least favorite friends were. And then they gave them each four envelopes. And then on each envelope was a picture of uh, one had the favorite friend, one had the least favorite friend, um, one had a child who they didn't know at all, never seen before, and then one had a child who was obviously uh, sick, right? was suffering. So then they gave the, uh, these children uh, eight stickers, which is like the currency of uh, preschoolers. <laughs> and they uh, invited them to put them in the envelopes. Like, who do you want to give like, what amount of stickers to, right? And before, uh, almost all the children put all the stickers in their favorite friend one, right? Uh, so then they went through this eight-week curriculum of uh, compassion, metta, stuff like that. And then... Interestingly, after that, most of the children distributed the stickers evenly. Right? Two per envelope, right? Uh, so, uh, it's possible to transform the heart and mind. And um, the, the thing that's, that also from this, you know, this overlay is like we kind of walk around with this overlay in our mind. And sometimes I think about it as like um, they're concentric circles of the closest one is like the ones we love, like our favorite friends or family members or something. And then there's another ring that's like um, medium grade friends maybe, right? Um, maybe acquaintances towards the outside of that. Then outside of that is the vast, huge field of human beings we ignore, right? So you could call that like strangers or neutral people or something. Um, and then Sometimes you could call it on the outskirts, but I would argue like sometimes this layer folds in back to the inside is the ones who we consider our enemies. The reason I say sometimes there's like a little vortex and they fold back in is because there's a strange intimacy we have with enemies. You know, like we actually think about them a lot and uh, (laughs) we're like strangely close to them in some way, even though it's with a sense of like antipathy or fear or hatred. So part of what this um, learning in the field of metta is, is to recognize, you know, we feel like we go around in the world and it's like, oh, a new group of people in grade school, and oh, like a new group of people in middle school, a new group of people in high school, a new group of people in this job, like a new group of people even in this very room, right? But very quickly, this field gets repopulated, you know? It's almost like there are sort of insert photo here slots in this field, and then we kind of slot people in. So then whoever was the, you know, maybe sometimes there's some consistency, but sometimes not. Like, everyone, the other ones sort of fall out. It's like there's a lever. They all, like, fall out. You know? And then they get, like, repopulated quickly. And then that's our world. And then we live in that world. We inhabit that world, and the dynamics are largely the same. You know? And we blame the dynamics on these external forces, like, it's because you're like that, uh, that I don't like you. It's because you're like that, that I like you. Uh, it's because 
you talk like this, that um, I love you so much, you know, et cetera. But really, the map is coming from our own heart and mind. And there's something very powerful to recognize, like this generation of this map over and over again. It's almost like this holographic like, like thing that arises in every single situation. Uh, is both generated from the heart and mind, and it's possible to transform that then. And in fact, it's much easier to transform that if we can understand that that generation is internal in some ways, than that you actually have to change every single person in your universe every time you come into a new situation. Right? Like that's actually a lot more work in some ways, right? <laughs> so this is, could be at least a little bit uh, relaxing for you, <laughs> maybe. So uh, for me, this um, practice of metta became, at a certain point in my practice, maybe after about 10 years of uh, vipassana practice, insight practice, uh, metta became very compelling to do as a main practice. And so then I did this practice in my um, daily life uh, for the period of meditation that I had. Um, I would do it on retreats, uh, any retreat that I did during that time. So a week long, I did a couple month longs, I did another three months of this, just with metta practice, right? Very good for collecting the mind and then also for the generation uh, and access to metta practice. And then also uh, very compellingly for me, and um, one of the main things I want to share with you is um, I practiced it in daily life, like when wandering around. <laughs> so uh, this is what the, the exploration of this, you know, loving the stranger, like loving those people that you don't usually ignore, I mean, or that you usually ignore, that you don't usually pay attention to, right? So sometimes we don't even recognize them as strangers. You know, we don't even recognize them as entities. There's so many, like people that you pass on the street or that you're in a cafe with or you're on an airplane with or uh, even sometimes people we have habitual interactions with, someone who gives you coffee or drives your bus or you know, something like that. Uh, we don't really think about them that much or you know, besides the transactional part of the relationship, we don't really have any kind of regard for them. And particularly because that category of people is, uh, you know, about seven billion plus. <laughs> you know, it's actually the largest category of beings. And if we add in animals and insects, then forget it. It's like huge. You know, uh, in some ways, like that is an incredibly transformative place to be uh, interested to practice. Right. So I'll say something that that you may or may not. Um, believe about metta practice. So I'll just throw this out there. So one is that we all are actually, in some way, um, channels for metta. Like we're like natural channels for this. But the channel is kind of blocked, you could say. Uh, it's blocked by, it's kind of like you know dead leaves and sticks and gunk and stuff like that, right? Uh, and all it needs is for that stuff to be cleared out. So it looks like, oh, I need to like make this thing happen, you know, crank it up and make it happen. But actually, if we can clear away the other stuff, then it's allowed to shine forth in some way. So kind of like, you know, there's probably some drains and stuff like that. You know, in the winter, all this stuff leaves and different things. And as the snow melted, like you find your drains and gutters are like clogged, right? So you have to go up there and like pull out the stuff. And, and then actually everything can flow quite, quite uh, well. So. Uh, you could look at it in this, this process of purification as like more like uh, unclogging <laughs> or something like that. That may not be that inspiring right? when I said it like that, but like uh, meaning like it's already there, it's already coming, it's already possible. It's not like you have to like uh, make it or something like that. So among the places that I would do this is um, in riding uh, public transportation around, and. Yeah, I asked if there was good you know, buses and stuff, and uh, I was told that there was. But even in traffic, you could be doing this. Uh, you might not have as many traffic jams as we have in the Bay Area, but probably occasionally you get stuck in somewhere, right? So then it's like, well, what's my, what am I doing right now? I'm gripping the steering wheel. I'm like cursing and wondering what's happening, maybe punching at the radio uh, aggressively or talking on the phone, right? Cursing whatever is around me. Um, so what if we actually uh, were able to relax a little bit and consider, like, not only am I stuck in traffic, but so is everyone here. 
there's a billboard in the Bay Area from the uh, Bicycle Coalition. Uh, I think it was from the Bicycle Coalition. It was something like, um, you are not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. (laughs) 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 And like immediately it's like, and then they were like, ride a bicycle instead, right? (laughs) So there's like a sudden like pulling you out of your self-absorbed misery, right? And it's totally true. Yeah, to the person behind you, like you're traffic. You're the one stopping them from getting home or getting to their Saturday night thing, you know? And the people to the side of you are like, yeah, you're the one that's preventing them from getting into the lane they want to get into, right? So you are both uh, stuck in traffic and you are traffic. Like, that's a quick like, uh, non-duality uh, exercise for you, right? So what if we were able to do that? And then from that, just understand like, oh yeah, not only am I being uh, stymied from what I want to do or in some state of suffering, not only have I had a good day or a bad day or a boring day, but so has every single person in every other car around me. You know? and, and same with everyone on this bus. Has whatever state of experience in their life of good health or bad health or good marriage or bad marriage and good relationship with kids or no kids or uh, good financial health or bad financial health and you know, their dreams are coming true, their dreams are not coming true. Right? And it's all dancing around for all of us. You know, like it's, it's, it's all in flux and it's all like very tenderly, poignantly uncertain for every single one of us at every moment. So given that, what if we were to just take a moment to just wish well for people? You know, this metta is translated as loving kindness sometimes can seem like a, a, a rather grandiose thing. Like it's a little too um, ambitious <laughs> on many days, most days maybe, right? Uh, so then, you know, there's a whole range of, of translations and even, uh, you know, strengths of metta, you could say, right? Or, so yeah, it could be full-on explosive loving kindness, but it could be uh, just kindness about that, or it could be goodwill. Uh, it could be this friendliness. It could be a low-grade tinge of friendliness, you know, <laughs> like a mild waft of ten- friendliness, you know. Uh, or the, actually, the the you know maybe the bottom uh, level here that also is good is non-aversion. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so merely not having aversion towards another being can be considered a form of goodwill, right? <laughs> so wherever we can along that range, like what if we just actually recognized other living beings around us and are just, you know, you could use this kind of formal phrases if you like, like may you be well, healthy, happy, safe, anything like that. You can make up your own phrases. Or in just some informal way, sometimes you can just sort of like chat metaphorly at them quietly <laughs> in your mind, you know. Like, oh, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're having a good day. There's a kind of thing in America sometimes we say to each other, and uh, I think people from other countries make fun of us sometimes for this kind of thing. But if you actually say it like with some sincerity, it's a beautiful thing. You know? It's like not a bad way to go about your uh, day. So I was with uh, another friend, uh, Alex, I think sometimes teaches here. We went to the university. As we were leaving the parking garage, he had to do all this like, stuff, putting cards and this and that. And then the robotic parking attendant said, uh, please drive carefully. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was very sweet. And Alex noted to me, he was like, yeah, I think it's so nice that they say that. (laughs) They do not say that in the Bay Area on the parking garage. But like, uh, yeah, it's like a little meta wish. And even though it's actually like a recording of someone saying that, it was kind of touching, you know? Like it was kind of touching to hear that, like a, a good wish that day. You know, as you exit this, uh, like, otherwise, you know, cement, like, not that cuddly structure, you know. (laughs) So this is the thing, is, like, we can actually generate this kind of wish for each other. And, um, yeah, it it has an impact, whether you say it or whether it's just energetically, you know. I remember another time I got um, some spam email, you know, and there's various spam emails that come. They're asking for money and stuff. You know, but the first line was like, Dear Beloved. 
And, uh, right? and before I got to the, you know, send wire all of your money to this bank account part, uh, I noticed like when I read Dear Beloved, it was actually very, uh, like it was very sweet. I had like a little moment in, you know, like, oh. yeah. I did not send the money there, but you know, like it, it just made me recognize, like yeah, even like a, a loving greeting, a kind greeting, even the smallest thing, even if it's like uh, from a spam email, can it actually impacts us? Like we're actually kind of sensitive, sensitive beings if we allow ourselves to feel into that. Right? So recognizing the times during your day when you're just hanging out, and otherwise your mind goes to self-absorption or miscellaneous rumination or spacing out, unnecessary wandering to the past or meandering into the non-existent future. So why not uh, give it a little bit of an opportunity to hang out in metta? It's almost like the mind doesn't know better, you know? It doesn't know like, oh, this is is a place to get hang out and this is good, you know? It's like, so like remind it (laughs) of that possibility. Like, teach it that, train it that, that way. And it is like training a kid. You know, like sometimes with little kids, um, if you're trying to teach them, for example, to say thank you for something, like it takes a little while to do that. Usually if they're given a gift, they'll like grab it and like run off with it, you know, and they have to like pull them back and be like, say thank you. And then usually first they'll say it quickly to run off again and like say look at them and say thank you you know like say it like you mean you know okay then after a while they kind of get the drill of it that they should do this and then maybe after a while they actually do feel that in some way right so it's like that with our minds you know our minds are like sometimes like little little kids like greedy for this thing or angry at this thing and self-absorbed so it's like oh come back like oh look at the people around you like see like how how's that person's day. I wish well for them. Right? How about this one? This one? This one? And there's something powerful about it too. Like we think we're wishing well for these other people, but actually what we're doing is creating this field of benevolence, like we did in the meditation, in which then we live. And that's actually what we want. You know, we want to live in a field of benevolence, but we think it will come when everyone starts to treat us nicely. So this is also revolutionary. It's like, oh, this field of benevolence, it's possible to, to uncover this, to generate this, and to actually become this beacon for this. Uh, and, you know, granted, at different times of our day or different weeks, it's going to be like 5,000-watt benevolence or like tiny flickering candlelight of benevolence. But, you know, whatever it is is okay, right? Just the continued uh, orientation in that direction uh, helps to transform the heart and mind. It really does. Um, With this kind of practice, it really is about the sincerity of our aspiration, so not how explosive it seems in some moment. So another aspect of this, uh, you know, loving the stranger, generating metta in this way, um, is our commitment to integrity, I'd say, too. So this is also a big part of the... uh, Dharma path of well-being for ourselves and for others uh, is living a life that is connected in our actions and in our speech with this kind of well-wishing. And later on, I did get a better sense um, through my practice about what this, uh, what is this enlightenment, awakening, anything like that. And um, to me, one way to consider this is it's a sense of um, alignment with the truth of the way things are. So the Dharma is like nature, truth the way things are. It's like alignment with that uh, is being awakened. And for most of us, we kind of wobble in and out of alignment (laughs) with that. But when we are in alignment, when we're actually in alignment with a deep understanding about uh, the connections that are there between all of us, about the truth that we are not the center of the universe uh, in some way, and then we naturally act in these ways that are... Uh, basically you could articulate as the training precepts, uh, the guiding training precepts that there are. So that's basically acting out of integrity. And integrity really means like a wholeness, right? A wholeness of, uh, of being. So if anyone is um, unfamiliar with them, the, the commitments in this uh, 
tradition for a training precept. One is around you know, not killing living beings. Uh, and further, we could say, like, not harming, physically harming. So taking this commitment to, uh, to do that, and then even further, maybe, to protect life. And it's said that uh, one of the greatest gifts that we can give each other um, is the gift of feeling like, uh, to another, that that other one can feel like they're safe in our presence. Like that that other one doesn't have to feel like uh, they have to worry about us physically harming them or lying to them or being like creepy to them in some way sexually or stealing them, manipulating from them, you know, anything like that. And this is a gift that doesn't cost anything. You know, uh, giving others the gift of the sense of safety in our presence. And the foundation of this is both metta, but also, I think, our commitment to uh, integrity, right? commitment to uh, these kinds of ethical uh, trainings. And I say trainings also because um, training means like you're trying to do it, and then you're failing uh, often, <laughs> maybe. So. Uh, that feels like an easier way to hold it than like the commandments of Buddhism or something. Yeah, right. um, and I think as we uh, engage with them also and work with them, we learn about them. Like, well, why is this one like that? Like, what's, what's the impact? You know, we're learning about cause and effect. Right? So first run around this harming or uh, abstaining from killing, harming. And then on the positive li- side, like protecting life, you could say. Uh, second one, to um, abstain from uh, taking that which belongs to others, and taking that which is not freely offered. Right? So in these first two, you can see this already orients us towards being aware of when a sense of uh, aggression might arise in us, uh, which it does different times, when a sense of like greed or acquisitiveness arises within us, which it does from time to time, and to be aware of that. Right. And then the other side of practicing that can be practicing renunciation, generosity also. Right. Um, third one is to particularly be aware of the way that we're impacting others with our sexuality, our sexual energy, activity. Uh, and that goes the whole range from how we look at each other, uh, how we physically touch each other, right? Like. Uh, making sure that there is uh, consensual activity. And this is a very powerful one for us as uh, mammals on the planet. You know? It's like a very natural energy that can come and which can be both very um, beautiful and healing and connecting, but also has been something that has caused so much harm, right? like so much pain and suffering and uh, trauma uh, to different living beings even from very quick interactions. So it's good to be very uh, aware in this area as we can, and uh, yeah, kind with this. So also paying attention to the area of speech. Uh, This is the area in which we have maybe the most interactions, usually, and which also it's uh, easiest to uh, slip up in some wide variety of ways. (laughs) So of course, a commitment to truthfulness, so avoiding lying, and oh, well, that could include also exaggerating things, and being curious about why is it that I do these things when they come up, right? And what's the impact on others? Right? Avoiding uh, harshly talking to people, so tongue lashings and cursing people out, even if they cut you out in traffic, or even if you've been on hold for 45 minutes with the cable company and stuff like that. Um, avoiding gossip slander, so talking badly about this one to that one and uh, causing rifts in that way. And then the, this is like possibly the highest, uh, highest standard is uh, avoiding idle chatter or unnecessary speech. Uh, there's a whole lot of exploration to check out with that one. Different people have inclinations uh, in their speech lives. Some people don't talk that much, and other people are naturally generous uh, verbally, I would say. <laughs> so the, um, the acronym that I've heard that is uh, 
a good one around this is uh, wait, or why am I talking? <laughs> so if you're someone who's naturally very, very generous, you could check that out and say, why am I talking? Right. So, and this is actually also a dimension of metta, you could say, in some way, particularly um, if, yeah, what if, if I held back from talking, maybe that would create space for someone else to say something, right? Um, either someone who's more shy than me or who wouldn't otherwise be inclined to speak or who might take a little bit longer to um, come up with something or, you know. Um. And then uh, you know, the fifth one is to pay attention to how uh, drugs and alcohol will impact uh, our ability to uphold numbers one through four, <laughs> right? So uh, under many circumstances where we have the best of intentions, if we engage with substances that cloud the mind, then uh, all of our good intentions go out the window and we say or do things that we later regret, right? So, yeah, paying attention to that and seeing, like, yeah, is... Uh, what if I were to totally abstain from taking in those substances? Um, or at the very least, right, like pay attention to what is the impact with a real honesty and full, uh, yeah, really being very, very honest with yourself about that. So following these training guidelines, this commitment to integrity, I think is also a dimension of um, creating a field of benevolence or friendliness to all those around us. Uh, it's a significant component, I'd say, of uh, loving the stranger or uh, orienting towards our interactions with this huge field of people and particularly the you know, six, seven billion in this unknown group, right? Because our commitment to these things, uh, if we're holding them to the highest level, is not just to those who might uh, do something for us if we act well, right? But actually, uh, for its own sake, recognizing and respecting all living beings equally. And there's, there's many different ways in which, uh, for many of us, we might feel like, yeah, the way that the world is going, the way that the country is going, you know, I don't, I don't uh, appreciate it. I want things to be different. And um, yeah, I think in some way, our own practice and our own commitment to these things can be a significant help, as well as all of your direct action and calling your congresspeople and uh, many other things. Um, but in helping to transform the world into one that we would uh, like to be in. That's a world that is one that allows uh, all different beings to thrive, uh, to live with respect, right? uh, kindness, and uh, goodwill. So I will stop talking now to allow time for uh, others to speak or ask questions. So thank you so much for your attention, Dhamma. So I'll see if anyone has um, any questions or uh, things you want to talk about. And there's a microphone that will come along. I appreciated your practical guides tonight. Um, and I was curious about maybe some suggestions of how we apply this in the workplace um, or in my situation for... Um, interactions that tend to feel kind of scripted and rote because they're monthly check-ins and it's hi how are you fine how are you good so <laughs> let's get started um and i'm i'm wondering in addition to having the intention of connecting with that individual um if maybe there is some phrasing that's helpful to set the tone um, you know, I've experimented with what was something positive that happened with you today or um, what, what did you feel was successful for you this month? Just kind of opening for some positivity and kind of letting them know that I'm, I'm present and I'm listening and, and I have their best interests in mind. Um, are there other ways that you recommend to kind of like 
set the tone, um, maybe even just, you know, starting a meeting off, um, bringing some presence and awareness. Yeah, um, I think there's many creative ways to uh, like manifest this in different situations and in different workplaces, depending on the culture of that workplace or how much time you have for that, right? For one's own um, kind of internal prep, um, in some ways something that can be helpful to do is uh, like make it a practice in the beginning of the day uh, to do metta practice and to actually even consider like who are the people I'm gonna meet uh, that day? So you could look at your calendar, right? And then you know you can do metta and sort of like wishing well for this one and then for this individual and this individual, right? Um, so actively, preemptively, before you even meet them, right? Before you even leave the house, um, like wish well for them, you know, like generate some sense of goodwill towards them, and then let it go, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Now it might be easier to do this in the abstract when they're not there, right? <laughs> than when they actually show up in person <laughs> sometimes. Um, or sometimes for some people it's the opposite, right? It's actually harder to do it abstractly, but easier when they're present. Um, I think like um, in some ways you can't like, in, in informal interactions, like you can't necessarily script it too much, but sort of orienting yourself towards metta and then allowing yourself to say what feels like it comes naturally uh, and is appropriate within the work setting, you know? Uh, of good well-wishing for them, right? And sometimes even small things like, uh, you know, appreciating something about that person, like you appreciating them, you know, in some way, uh, can allow that to, like, set a tone, a very different tone, you know. Um, I did a, a, a training that was on um, direct action, you know, um, is like, you know, doing protests, right? Like, there was a big protest. I think there was here also in the airport, right? And, uh, so we were doing uh, role plays as part of this training for direct action, right? And it was supposed to be uh, like um, there were some police there and they were mad at your group of protesters because someone had thrown a bottle at them and then uh, they were coming at you mad, right? And so this person came at me and I was like, uh, they were supposed to be dressed in a police uniform but they weren't because we are role playing. And I remember the thing that came to me was just like, wow, that's a nice shirt, right? So <laughs> I said that to them and they were totally trying to role play angry police person, but it, it completely threw them off in this way, right? And um, in this case, you could say like, yeah, maybe that was a little bit manipulative, but uh, it was actually a nice shirt. I did feel that. I, I genuinely felt it was a nice shirt. And I said that and it totally, uh, like they couldn't be as mean to me <laughs> in some way. It was hard for them in the role play at least, right? Uh, to do that. So it's interesting how like even just a slight benevolent gesture towards someone can really transform the interaction, right? But other times it doesn't too, you know, like uh, I end up flying a lot through, uh, you know, going someplace to teach Dharma and stuff and um, I remember being in line uh, at SFO airport too and uh, I saw the, the TSA guy, he was interacting in this very friendly manner with this lady in front of me, right, who's an older white lady. And then I came up to the front, and I was, I was curious, because this happens to me often, like they're kind of like, you know, like it's like you are dangerous-ish, you know, kind of attitude. And so I thought like, okay, what if I seed this by being super friendly to him too, you know? So I walked up and I was like, hi, how's it going? And it, it didn't help, right, just, you know? Yeah, no, like his programming around like racial profiling, you know, whether explicitly taught or, you know, developed unconsciously was like so strong and uh, and it was painful for me right it was like wow you totally thought this person other person is like your friend and I'm clearly like not like I'm considered dangerous right that so it doesn't always work too and that's the thing metta it's not meant to be like some uh, it still was worth it you know it still was worth it because even in that moment uh, my own heart was more open and my own heart was more open even to feel the pain of that, you know? Like I was like, wow, I'm hurt just like a little child because this guy is being mean to me, you know? But it's okay, right, you know, in that moment. It's just feeling the, the poignancy of this uh, interaction. Like, oh, it's painful to be felt as other in some way. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. More, someone over here maybe? The red Sri Racha shirt. Which I also have. I do like your shirt, actually. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Um, what do you like to do? What are some steps you take to um, set meta t- 
towards yourself in motion when it's not feeling like it's there for you? Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting question because, you know, in this kind of universe that I described, um, we can often find that we ourselves pop up at many different locations within that universe, right? Like sometimes in the most beloved category, but sometimes in the least beloved category, and sometimes in the ignored category, like no attraction whatsoever. It's like we never met ourselves or something, right? We're trying to wish well. It's like, who are you? What is this, right? Yeah. Um, so it's better you just start from wherever you are and wherever you can. And um, the thing we did in the beginning about you reflecting on your own goodness a little bit, um, that's when sometimes helps. So allowing yourself to remember some of your own positive qualities. You know, and it doesn't have to be like a huge thing. It's just even a small thing, right? And then even the second thing that we did, which was like imagine uh, someone else around you who uh, regards you well. And it could be even like your dog or you know, <laughs> your grandma or you know, anyone whatsoever. Like to see yourself through their eyes for even one second can like help to spark that in some way, right? Um, and then you know, in the, the trajectory of metta, we usually say start where it's easiest and then uh, continue, right? So then if it seems like on some day like you're not the easiest one to do, then um, you know, start even with someone else who's easier and then come to yourself. Right? That's another one. Right? And then some people like to practice with metta, like to feel to put their hand on their heart. Like actually, sometimes the physical contact can help them to feel the connection. Um, and for me, sometimes also just to reflect a little bit on like, yeah, I, I, I do wish to be happy. You know, just reflect and allow yourself to connect with your own deepest wishes. And then it's sort of like you're just saying them. You know, you're just saying what's true in this way, right? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, um, and I see it in you actually as well, is your, your eye, you, you're willing to open your eye and look longer than uh, people who aren't in a state of meta. That's how I see it. And I feel when I'm in a place that's very open and loving, that there's sort of a hang gliding that can happen, like a willingness to just take in the geography of somebody's present moment existence, to use the eye, so to speak, to hang. And I guess my question is, is people want to be joined sometimes where they're at with sort of their psychic distance or their mask. And I'm not really very good at like doing internal meta like, oh, that's too close to you. So I should secretly be wishing you well, but, uh, but not be overtly friendly in an expressive way. Because I find that sometimes I get hurt, like I have the rebound effect that you described where you felt a racial closeness that hurt your heart. And this, I really suffer a lot when I uh, am around people who are jealous or defensive. Like those particular contracted mind states actually feel slaying to me. And I feel like that's somehow there's a, a closing that needs to happen that's actually better meta than what I'm doing. Does that ring any bells for you? Yeah, it does. And, and here's where I think the, the practice of metta, you know, it, which is the generation of a particular wholesome, positive state. Um, also, though, along the way, you know, it's, a, it's a process, purification process. And in that long period that I described when I did metta practice, basically like every opposite thing came up too, right? Like that's part of the purification. And so then, um, I think it was beneficial that I had done like a bunch of insight practice before, because then my ability to meet with a sense of presence, you know, hopefully loving presence, like that which is painful, uh, is also part of that process. So um, with mindfulness practice, with the vipassana practice, um, we're actually trying to just be present with whatever it is that's arising. So I think there's a way in which our, our willingness and intimacy with dukkha, which is suffering, in its vast range of forms also, is an important dimension of metta too, right? Because otherwise, you know, there's like metta is like a non-contractual love, right? Unconditional love is another translation. And so it's always a condition if it's like, oh, I'll love you as long as you're okay, right? Or as long as you're not X, Y, and Z. And it's okay when we discover those conditions because that's part of the learning in this practice. Um, but then we can see like, oh yeah, this is a little bit of an obstacle, you know? 
like, I didn't know that I had conditions. Like, as long as you have these kind of mind states or stay this X distance away from me or say this thing or, you know, whatever, right? So in that moment, like, I, I, I don't necessarily think that I stopped having metta for that guy who uh, was unfriendly towards me. Um, I think the, the, it turned more towards compassion for myself, but then also in some way for us, because I've been in that situation often before, and also, like, it's not just me, you know? And in fact, like, if I... It, you know, there's other people who are profiled worse than me. And, he, you know, I didn't get dragged to the back room that day. He was just unfriendly to me, right? But other friends of mine have gotten much worse treatment. So it's like, okay, in some ways, expanding out and seeing the larger picture, it's like, oh, yeah, this is suffering. This is dukkha. This is dukkha in our world. And this is like a patterning of suffering that's there. That's in some ways extremely impersonal, right? Like, I totally, you know, that guy didn't know me. Like, I didn't know him. It's... Racism is very impersonal in some way, as is all of this stuff, right? So I guess like that willingness to be with suffering also is an aspect of metta that's, um, yeah, very. It seems like it, it seems like uh, paradoxical in some ways because like no, I'm going for love, right, right, but actually the ability to be there with the range of stuff, including like imperfection. You know, so for, for even the question, like, how do you love yourself? Um, some of that is like, oh, as I see the ways in which I mess up, <laughs> right? Or the ways in which I'm not living up to physically, intellectually, emotionally, geographically, financially, you know, like whatever my ideas are that I should be doing. Like, uh, it's a good challenge. It's like, oh, can I still stay connected to this good wishes, to this well-wishing for myself, even if... Uh, I'm not following the script, mine or other people's, you know. And, and that's really like a deepening and maturing of, of love, I think, right? Uh, when we're able to do that in some way, so. May we all be well, healthy, happy, and safe. May we all be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May we all grow in wisdom and in love. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.